Have you been wanting to start a podcast for a while now, but something's holding you back? Maybe it's fear of putting yourself out there or confusion about the technology. I'm Sarah Mikatel, and on Podcasting Step by Step, I'll break down how to podcast with a little loving motivation to give you the skills and the confidence you need to finally launch that show of your dreams. Let's get started. Wow, what an incredibly sad yet hopeful week. In the United States and around the world, people have come together to condemn the murder of George Floyd and to accelerate the anti-racism work that activists have been doing for a very long time. And now many more people are joining them and talking about police brutality and inequality and institutional racism in the United States. And I am not an expert on any of those things. And so I am going to include some educational resources for you in the show notes. And I will also share how you can get involved in the Podcasters for Justice campaign organized by the head of the Women of Color Podcasters community, Danielle Desir, who will be on the podcast in a few weeks. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her. Diversity is something that's always been very important to me. It's probably been important to you as well, especially when it comes to podcasting. But it's not something that I've talked a lot about on my show. To me, inclusivity is obviously just the right thing to do. And uh, there's some other reasons why I haven't talked a lot about it. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But I'm realizing now that I should be more vocal about the importance of diversity in podcasting because I learned about this from other people speaking about it. And so if I could potentially have a similar positive impact on others who want to help shift the culture, then I definitely want to do that. And I absolutely grew up with white privilege. There was a time when most people in magazines and books, the books that I read and the films that I saw looked like me and it did not occur to me at all that that was strange. It was just the way life was. I was seeing myself reflected in these different things. Um, I just thought, you know, I I didn't think about it at all. And I guess that's what white privilege is. We didn't have to think about it until I heard other people talking about the voices and the faces who were missing. When I started the Postcard Academy travel podcast, I knew from the beginning that I wanted to plan to invite a diverse range of guests. So women, people of color, LGBT. And this proved harder than I thought it was going to be at first. When I started looking for guests online, I because I wanted to talk to like travel book authors and expat entrepreneurs. And I was finding primarily white guys, especially the published authors, who I also interview. But as I said, I want to include a diverse range of voices because they deserve to be heard as well. And I want to say emphasis on the word deserve because a few months ago, I was listening to a podcast between two white men who speak at a lot of conferences. And one of them complained about conferences that were trying to be more diverse. And he said that it was not fair to him as a white guy that he might not get a chance to speak on stage because of a token was his words. And he was speaking about women, but you can easily insert black person or some other minority. And he said that if you're good enough, then you would already be speaking on stage. You would be getting the speaking slots that you applied for. And this is a common thought among a lot of people. And I can guarantee you that this guy doesn't think that he's racist or sexist. 
but he's just not thinking properly about the history of how the U.S. was set up. And I think even liberals can think a version of that sentiment, right? Like, oh, well, there's no Black people or other minorities who can speak or be CEO because they haven't had the same opportunities, but this is going to change down the road. There are plenty of qualified Black people and LGBT LGBT people I can't say that. LGBT people and women who would make fantastic guests for your podcast. They already exist. Also to be speakers on stage, to be running Fortune 500 companies. So why aren't we seeing more of them? Well, yes, we have institutional racism. And yes, we have the inclination to choose people who look like us, who have the same background as us. But also, if we don't see ourselves represented somewhere, it might not occur to us to apply to a certain program or to speak on stage. I had kind of forgotten about this, but in college, I actually started out as a business major before switching to journalism. I had visions of being CEO of a vegetarian frozen food empire. But then at some point, I forgot all about this. And when I joined, you know, when I joined the corporate world, I thought, I never want to be CEO. I just want to come in and do my job and, you know, not rock the boat. And I didn't see myself as a leader or a mentor or having my own business. And I felt that way for a long time until I worked at Apple when Angela Arentz was senior vice president of retail. And when she was there, she just had this rock star reverence. Every week she put out a video to all retail employees talking about as much as Apple talks about, you know, their vision and strategic direction. And she built trust and incredible loyalty among her employees. And typical words that people use to describe her were brilliant, empathetic, warm, strategic. And I realized that I had never heard people refer to a female senior executive in such glowing terms. At some point, I had internalized the headlines depicting women leading U.S. firms as incompetent shrews who were struggling to have it all. And I didn't identify with that. And so it didn't really occur to me to aim for the C-suite. And Angela is a great leader, but not because she's a woman, but because she's got fantastic business sense and treats people with respect. And so seeing her in that position really shifted how I thought about myself and what I could be. And she looked like me. And that is when the importance of a diversity really clicked for me. I mean, I'm a white liberal person. So yeah, always I knew diversity was important and we should be inclusive. But I don't think, well, no, I didn't think that it was that big of a deal that most senior execs were white men. I didn't really think that I needed a role model to see somebody who looked like me. But I did. And so do Black people. And so do LGBT people. And so do people in wheelchairs. And I am not comparing my experience to the Black experience. But I'm just sharing my story to show how I came to realize that having role models who look like you matters in business, in podcasting, and everywhere else. So even though it would be very easy for me to just interview white male guests on my show because It's so easy to find them because they're the ones who have been promoted historically and who have been in the news historically and who have gotten the opportunities. But I know that I have a richer, more meaningful show, a more interesting show, because I take the time to dig a little deeper and 
to elevate voices that aren't as easily found. Now, I mentioned earlier that when it comes to podcasting, diversity, I hadn't been that vocal about the importance of diverse guests. And one of the reasons is because I never want my guests to feel or for listeners to perceive that I was choosing a guest just because of their skin color. Everyone who has been on my show has been there because they had something valuable to share. My guests are not tokens. I'm going to read a recent Instagram post from one of my postcard guests, Lily Germa, who is a Black travel writer based in the Dominican Republic. Here's what Lily has to say. This week and last, ever since the renewed focus on Black creatives, we Black writers started noticing posts from some, not all, white colleagues who no doubt meant well, but were completely misguided. My dear friend and fellow talented Black creative Lola Akinmaid and I decided to speak up to help you see the assumptions and to explain the current publishing landscape. Feel free to share. We are not charity cases. We are award-winning writers, photographers, leaders, bloggers, destination experts, and much more. And then in... um her actual image. She shared a few quotes. So, dear white colleagues, the following has happened all too frequently this week from some of you, and it needs to stop. Please stop using this time to offer your free or discounted services to black writers and creatives because you're good at copy editing or you can review their pitches and track editors. It's condescending. It's problematic. It's full of assumptions. We are not all lacking in talent because we're Black. We write just as well as you do. We're full of amazing pitch ideas, too. We know how to track editor contacts. It's not about you or your services. That's not why our article pitch success rate may be lower than a white writer's. It's about white-only editorial boards and white-dominated publications. The majority of these gatekeeping editors keep hiring writers that look like them because most likely their personal lives are also filled only with people who look like them. Many of them, especially travel publications, only seek black stories when there are bad things happening. Pandemics, protests, hurricanes. Posting free or discounted services is not being an ally. It belittles the greater issue and is imbued with racist undertones. Instead, there are other things that you can do to be an ally and tip the scales of justice in publishing. One, ask your writer friends how you can help. Don't assume. Two, send your editors a list of black writers or share your editor contacts. Three, ask white editors to hire more writers and editors of color, not just one token black person they use all the time. Question their gatekeeping. Referring back to the disgruntled podcaster, male podcaster that I mentioned earlier who said podcast conferences don't need tokens. I agree, they don't need (laughs) tokens. Uh, There are literally hundreds, if not thousands of black black podcasters who are ready and able now to give great interviews, who would be great on stage, not because they're tokens, but because they are people who have something worthy to say. And just because we don't know them personally yet doesn't mean that we can't find them. We need to find them. For podcast interviews, we can go look for people in our own areas of expertise, Good old Google research can help us out, or we can jump into related Facebook groups to discover potential interviewees. As of this recording, the She Podcast Facebook group has more than 17,000 women. Danielle's Women of Color Podcasters group, they've got over 3,000. 
if you're a white creator with a solo show, you can find ways to be inclusive as well when you're creating blog posts, when you're creating business materials, online courses, include diversity in your images. There are many different ways that we can get involved. As And as I said, I'm obviously not the expert on racial justice or social change, and I'm far from perfect, but I'm willing to listen and to learn and to, you know, take my part in making this world a better place. And we have such a unique opportunity as podcasters to have real conversations that can shift hearts and minds and societies. Right now on social media, I'm seeing a lot of fighting, a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of anguish, a lot of finger-pointing amongst white people who are trying to do the right thing and trying to convince other white people to change racist beliefs. But social media is a hot mess. While I think it's uh, good for marketing and bringing together people for with common interests and hobbies and, you know, it's nice to show our solidarity. I don't think we're convincing anyone of anything over there. Those platforms have evolved to tear us apart. Chances are, when you're on social, you're interacting with two different kinds of people, people who think just like you, and then family and friends who you've known for a long time, and some of whom might have racist views that you've been trying to change forever. And I'm sure you've noticed we're not winning these wars on Facebook or YouTube. These platforms have put us in group think bubbles and encouraged outrage because it keeps them on the platform. It keeps us on the platform. There have been employees at both Facebook and YouTube who have tried to stop this and have been silenced because, you know, it's about money and how long they can keep us on their platform, as I said. And they don't want to be the arbiters of truth or civility. As an aside, I heard an interesting proposal the other day. I think it was one of the journalists on the Weeds podcast by Vox. And they were saying, well, if we can't, fact check everyone if like Twitter and Facebook say that's too hard they could focus on the people with the most influence who have millions and millions of followers so that when they lie and incite violence their posts can be removed or God willing they can you know their profile can be removed altogether I long for the day when politicians go back to work and stop tweeting all day but my point is this How often does social media reinforce what you already believe? And how often does it change your mind? I think the real action is happening offline. And maybe I'm wrong. I welcome your input and feedback on how we can use social media more for positive change. But when have you had a real eye-opening realization when it comes to race or injustice? I'm talking to white people here. For me, in addition to seeing things happen to Black friends, it's been books and films and articles and podcasts who that have changed my mind or opened my eyes to certain things. It's not somebody yelling at me on, on Facebook. I just don't think that's working. What works is stories. It's stories that are sticking with us. I remember reading a biography of Martin Luther King in third grade, and I think that might have been my first innocence-shattering moment. We remember that content and where we were when we read it or saw it. I remember a documentary I saw years ago called God Grew Tired of Us, which you should absolutely see. It's fantastic. It was on the lost boys of Sudan. So 
in the 80s when civil war broke out, the black male Christians were being persecuted. Well, they were all being persecuted, but the Lost Boys were uh, black Christians. And so they set out and walked 1,000 miles to try to escape this violence. And people were shooting at them. They were being bombed. Their families were being raped and murdered. They were eating mud to survive because they were in the middle of nowhere. Animals were eating them. I mean, horrific. I'm not doing this any justice at all. But they experienced such trauma and eventually, after years, made their way to the United States, some of them. They were sponsored by a church. And so the documentary is about their assimilation. And one of the things that just really stuck with me was the loneliness that they felt in their new country. They were so grateful and such and worked really hard. They were working 60 hours a day, working several jobs. And so these boys who had been through such you know, horrific circumstances together and who had grown friendly. They didn't get to see each other that often because they were working different shifts and they wanted to make friends with people in their new neighborhood. But white people were looking at them with suspicion. And I think they may have even been told, you know, don't walk in groups because people might think it's suspicious. And so in this filming, you can see white people looking, you know, kind of nervously when they see this group of guys walk by and it just breaks your heart because you know that they are just trying to fit in and meet new people and be part of a community because before their lives were torn apart by civil war, they had community and were used to being together. And now people are looking at them like, why are you here? Who are you? You know, are you dangerous? It's the type of documentary that breaks your heart and fills you with rage because you're looking at these white people who are just living the most comfortable suburban lives and they have no idea that these boys walked a thousand miles just to, you know, stay alive. So that documentary is called God Grew Tired of Us. You should watch it. Stories matter. Visibility matters, human rights matter, justice matters. And as a podcaster, you have the power to communicate that. I'm going to read the words from the Podcasters for Justice campaign. And again, this text will be in the show notes. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black lives matter. We believe that Black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witnesses to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak out against anti-Blackness and police brutality. And we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. 
Hey, let's continue the conversation. Head on over to my blog on Substack for more content on how to thrive through better communication, stoicism, and global exploration. That is right. Blogging is cool again over on the Substack platform. There you can chat with me in the comments, and I have plenty of bonuses for paid subscribers, or you can just read for free. So click the link in the episode notes to access the Substack Live Without Borders.